Massive news, Paul. Did uh, did Luis Suarez bite any of our players yet? <laughs> no. I guess we will come on to talk about Jump and his activities. No, of course, very kindly and unusually for Manchester United, they announced a major signing before we recorded a podcast. So good on them for that because we don't have to say, oh, I don't think it's going to happen. It's all going to fall apart because of Spanish tax laws and stuff. We've signed a good midfielder. We have a very good midfielder. Yeah, I, uh, I, we've spoken about Herrera before, given the imposter gate last season. Uh, we already had a chat, so perhaps we go back and listen to what we said and make sure we're consistent, eh? <laughs> uh, but no, he's a very good player. He's very neat and tidy in possession. He makes, uh, as I said last year, he makes a lot of forward runs. Uh, as you were just saying before the show, he makes a lot of key passes. He likes a dribble, likes a shot. He's a good all-rounder. It'll be interesting to see how he takes to the, the game because, you know, he's a little fella. And, you know, not wanting to sound like a, a cliche here, but uh, the Premier League is a little bit more physical than La Liga. So it might take a little bit of adjustment for him. I also think he's a player who's who's very well balanced and I think he'll do a very good job at United and I think he'll fit very nicely into the United side, whatever formation that Louis van Gaal decides to pick. But I also think he's uh, functional over Stardust and uh, it'll be interesting to see what United fans' reaction is to that because I think he'll do a very good team job uh, without necessarily looking like he's the starring man all the time. Well, I was trying to say at the beginning of that, let's save this United chat for the end of the show so that our non-United listeners don't have to sit through it. Couldn't help it. We're excited. Non-United listeners, if you're listening to this show, you're a United listener. (laughs) Um, So uh, I think that any United fans reacting to a good team midfielder being signed with anything other than the biggest, warmest open arms available are being crazy because we, we've got plenty of stardust in our team. We are not suffering from a deficit of stardust. We're suffering from a deficit of functionality in the central midfield. Well, that, that's an interesting point. But yeah, that's not a negative comment about Herrera. I just said he was a, a very good player. But I, th- I think, it, you know, my comment is not about whether people think he's great signing or not. I think there'll be a very positive reaction. I mean, I'm quite sure a lot of people haven't seen him from some of the comments I get on Twitter. I'm certain of that. But I wonder whether we get to the end of next season and we have a similar debate to the kind of Michael Carrick debate uh, where some people wonder about his uh, his real value. I think he'll do really well. This is my prediction. I think he'll do really well at United. It may take him a little while to settle down. He makes a lot more tackles than Michael Carrick as well. He does. And, and of course, you know, people will like that. Yeah, he, he definitely puts himself about a bit. You couldn't really place him as a defensive midfielder or an attacking midfielder he's an all-rounder and that'll be interesting on the balance because you know I'd kind of suspect that he might do better in a three in midfield Um, this is for next season I suppose we'll find out exactly how well he functions for United but you know my inkling would be he'd do much better there I mean he spent a lot of last season playing out wide which didn't quite suit him and and we'll see whether Lou Van Hal is able to build a system around him Balagay reckons he plays best at 10 
which I kind of feel like that's a bit Balagay being Balagay, isn't it? I think it is. Uh, I think uh, I think eight. If, we, if we're going to go by the you know numeral conventions of European football, uh, eight is the one for me. Um, it also tells me that Marin Fellaini is not getting a game. Or, uh, or, or at least you know he's an option to go to, but he's not a starter. Hear me out here, but Carrick, Fellaini, and Herrera is not the worst central midfield you've ever heard of, is it? Especially if Fellaini and Carrick can find some confidence again. Right. Yes, but there's a lot of ifs and buts in there, right? <laughs> yeah, so, for sure. <laughs> I mean, a few things counting against Fellaini: his lack of talent, <laughs> uh, skill, pace, nous, belief. <laughs> Uh, you know, if he finds all of those things, and then Carrick uh, obviously came off his worst season in the Manchester United shirt, and and uh, obviously age is not with him. So we'll see uh, if United sign another central midfielder of Herrera esque quality. I, I wouldn't be totally surprised, at least in terms of what you should do strategically. Yeah. Um. You know, money and all that aside, we'll see. But uh, I'm not sure that United have enough quality in there right now. So with Carrick, Fellaini, Herrera. Cleverly, Anderson, who's still a player, of course, and Fletcher. You know, I'm not quite sure that's the right balance. But still, look, this is the World Cup podcast, and I've droned on and on and on about a player <laughs> who's not in the World Cup. And and that's one more thing. One final comment on this one. I took a little bit of flack about this one, but you know, if the if the barometer of of price is players of a similar age in a similar position, then one might think that. 29 and a bit, you know, 30 odd million euros is is a little overpriced. Fabregas has gone for only slightly more than that, Flaney slightly more than that. Uh, Fabregas, of course, a massive, uh, massively established Spanish international of, you know, long renowned reckoning, a little bit older, a couple of years older, but, um, mm. you know, I, I'm not sure the prices are quite balanced there, but the premium United have paid is mostly down to the fact that Bilbao just do not want to sell their players because they have a very limited pool of players and, and he had a buyout clause. Yeah, absolutely. Luke Shaw as well, currently at Carrington, if rumours are to be believed, and I'm not sure they are, but still, exciting times. And of course, William Carvalho, done with his World Cup early enough to start the bidding on... on... Well, you see, that's an interesting one because, uh, I mean, he didn't start every game for Portugal, but I, and uh, I didn't actually watch the Portugal-Ghana game because I was uh, on USA-Germany, but uh, he was very, very good when he came on uh, in uh, Portugal's previous game. So, you know, a few people have got a few minutes look at him there thinking, hmm, he looks a bit tasty. Yeah, absolutely. So, World Cup! Forget all this Manchester United stuff. This can wait another couple of weeks. I, I'm, I'm enjoying the break from it all, and it's nice that we had a bit of good news. I guess one last thing we should say about this transfer is it's extremely promising in the way United have conducted their transfer business this summer that this came out of nowhere and it was virtually done by the time anyone was talking about it and yeah we had 48 hours of you know tax law and buyout clauses and people suddenly becoming experts on athletic Bilbao and all that but still very interesting that United went from no talk about Herrera whatsoever to him being a United player within yes. basically seven, seven a week. Yeah, know. no, uh, very promising. Anyway, are you an expert on Brazil versus yes. Chile? Because that's our first round of 16 game this weekend. Well, I, I'm not an expert, but my goodness, that's going to be a good game. So here is the... Bit th- tasty, that one, isn't it? It's just like, it is, I don't know, that is that is hot and spicy as befits a fixture with Chile in it. Oh, wow, I'm really sorry, everyone. 
So uh, the the thing that I know about this that I've learned in the last couple of weeks is that Chile apparently have this massive inferiority complex about Brazil and that they often lose to Brazil even when they're not necessarily second favourites, although of course they normally are. I have to say, from the way the two teams have played so far, there's absolutely no way Chile should be afraid of Brazil. No, they shouldn't be. I mean, Brazil have actually been pretty disappointing, I think, so... Uh, obviously a heavy win in the final game against Cameroon in their group. You'd kind of expect that, uh, but very disappointing against Mexico. And I think, uh, remembering the timings, they hadn't played Mexico last time we talked. But And Chile, by contrast, have uh, been pretty impressive, haven't they? I mean, they're an interesting side in that they're very tactically flexible. They attack, attack, attack. Uh, certainly play the game the right way. They sometimes play with three at the back, sometimes four. They mix it up during the games. They've got... Some real talent in Sanchez and Vidal and and others. Um, Certainly not those two alone. And they're going to give Brazil a real game, no doubt about it. Although, you know, I I suppose they might be disappointed with the result against Holland. Uh, uh, Sampaoli afterwards complained that it was only one team trying to win. and, And true, Holland most certainly set up for playing on the break in that game. Van Hull got it right again, didn't he? Tactically nullified Chile and... And uh, pick them off. I mean, we'll come on to Holland and, and talk about them in more detail. But the, from the Chile perspective, I think if we'd been talking about this fixture immediately after the second round of uh, of group games, then I think Chile looked pretty heavy favourites at that point. But Brazil were much more functional against the very poor Cameroon. Fernandinho makes an enormous difference to Brazil. Uh, so if Scolari doesn't pick him ahead of one of their other options in the centre of midfield, he seems... Seems to me it would be a big mistake. Hold on, I'm going for proper pronunciation here, so apologies. Uh, Fred G scored a goal. Apparently it's not Fred, who knew? He scored a goal and that's that's interesting. Maybe he'll be off and running. And Neymar was absolutely outstanding again against Cameroon. Yes, yeah, so well, let's talk about Fred. I'm, I'm sticking with Fred. <laughs> I'm sharer to your Tim Vickery here. And uh, look, um, he was very, very poor in all three games, I think. I mean... Uh, Not only does he look like a bit of a buffoon on the pitch when he miscontrols it, which is frequent, but he doesn't really look that dangerous. And and, uh, I mean, aside from the fact he's about 45 and real danger is to himself and he might keel over at any second. And I I wonder whether Brazil couldn't shake things up and just play a a bit more flexibly up top. You know, I guess I guess Scolari is built around this number nine, but uh, they couldn't half make things a bit more dynamic by bringing Fernandinho in uh, I mean Paulinho's been awful hasn't he and then uh, Oscar not always playing either so there are options for Brazil it seems like they have a pattern of play they want to stick to and given that Chile will probably play three at the back it'll be interesting to see how Brazil try and line up will they try and tuck Neymar in a little bit more and, and go 3v3 uh, or will they push him wide and try and exploit some space that the wing-backs do leave, which will leave Fred on his own against three defenders. Yeah, I mean, I think, unless I'm wrong, Oscar did play all the games for Brazil, but I'm just not sure where he fits in. If you drop Fred and play Neymar as, like, a false nine, right? It's it's an option, isn't it? Um, although it feels like Neymar does so much of his best work when he picks the ball deep and runs forward, and a false nine, by nature, is often coming back into play, so... well. I mean, you wouldn't say that about Messi, would you? So 
if he, if he played in the Messi role for Barcelona, as you know, as Messi plays for Barcelona, uh, rather than for Argentina, it's a slightly different role. Uh, then, then that seems to make a lot of sense given the nature of the players they've got in the squad. It's just not how they've played, so you'd expect them to play with Fred at the top. Of course, they could do with a proper number nine, maybe like you know the Brazilian number nine that they had that defected to Spain. <laughs> yeah, although he sort of defected to Spain in order to ruin them, so perhaps it was an inside job after all. So uh, we're going to do a prediction on each of these round of sixteen games, and I feel like I feel like the combination of home crowd. Brazil looking a bit better against Cameroon and Chile looking a bit worse against the Netherlands and the old inferiority complex is uh, is tipping me to back Brazil to get through this one. But I'm not confident about it, but I'd go 2-1 Brazil. Yeah, I think that's a good prediction. I think Brazil will win. I think they're just going to have enough just, but Chile are going to give them a really good game. We'll see about the inferiority complex. I don't think Chile have played like that in any games. I've seen. I was going to say they came to Wembley and had no inferiority complex, but frankly, that would be pretty much anyone. Vatican City heading to Wembley at the moment. It's a little different, isn't it, than playing Brazil in Brazil? Yes, it is a little different. So, of course, it's going to be hugely partisan crowd, as they all have been for Brazil games. And I think Brazil will just edge it. But you know what? If Chile dumped them out, I couldn't say I'd be massively shocked. They're a very good side. Me neither, absolutely. Talking of very good sides, I can't wait for this one. Colombia against Uruguay and I do hope uh, apologies Diego Forlan if you're listening brother but the rest of them I hope that Colombia absolutely tonk them because Luis Suarez has bitten again Ed he's bitten again banned for four months and nine international matches ban effective immediately chomp gate you know the thing that (laughs) I mean we've talked about Suarez so often haven't we in one form or another on this podcast the thing that just it, it does not compute in my brain. It's this incredible persecution complex that both Suarez and the Uruguayan FA have. Immediately denial. You know, even though the world has seen both still and moving picture images, you know, the incredible denial that this has happened, uh, that he somehow just stumbled over and fell in. I mean, you couldn't make this up. They, their excuse was he, he stumbled over and fell into Cellini. <laughs> what? You know? It's like, you- <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yes, you, yes, Your Honour. You know, I know she said no, but I just tripped over Your Honour. I mean, look, it's it's unbelievable. And and the, the immediately it was it's the Italians, it's the English, it's a conspiracy against us. I'm not quite sure what the conspirators were hoping to gain. Uh, and uh, you know he's announced today by FIFA four four month ban nine match ban, uh, so four months from any football activity nine matches internationally, which is more stringent than we expected. I think uh, many people thought that FIFA would sweep it under the carpet. They haven't done that. They've been pretty tough. It's in line with other bans, and it can't go on anymore. Right? Uh, something has to happen with this this guy now. A lot of people said it in a very pithy way. He needs some help, but he needs to unlearn this behavior and um you know there's uh, a lot of cod psychology i don't pretend to be one but it can't keep happening so the thing is i sort of am a person who understands this stuff because that's my job and when you have a deeply ingrained behavior like that lots of people have said I, i saw a journalist i think mark ogden tweeting he needs to curb this animal instinct and it's a sort of it's a 
it's a poor choice of phrase essentially because it's slightly misleading because the instinct is not animal the instinct is infantile this is a stage of child development where children start biting and for some children that becomes like a problematic behavior and for Suarez he's got that in his uh he's got that in his locker to use a weirdly inappropriate sports phrase and he can change but he has to make an awful lot of effort to do so and he is going to relapse along the way that's the thing like because he's done a bunch of work on this apparently um and a lot of people are saying oh well look this is proof that the work hasn't worked but it's not it's just it takes time and you relapse when you're trying to make a, a behavioral change like that but of course for people playing professional football with him he shouldn't be. He shouldn't just get leeway to do whatever he wants because impulse control is is important, and a lack of impulse impulse control is potentially really dangerous. Look, his fellow professionals are going to be looking around now and going, "Is he is he looking at me, feeling a bit hungry?" You know. I, I mean, have you seen the pictures from the Confederations Cup where it really, really, really looks like he tried to beat bite Chiellini's right. shoulder? <laughs> <laughs> it's yes. like mad. This is it's like he's come back to take his his hungry revenge. Really odd and a real shame. I mean, um, he's obviously one of the world's most talented players, and uh, you, you wonder whether this is going to precipitate a move to Barcelona. Of course, they're very interested, and uh, Liverpool wouldn't have been interested in shifting him on, given that he, they're now in the Champions League. But they might consider it differently now I mean well the flip side of it isn't he a much less attractive proposition than he was a week ago to to a buyer well look four four months ban takes him through to what July August September October October, end of October that's not so bad given they uh, start in late August Uh, so no I think if uh, if they could use this as an opportunity to leverage uh, a um, a purchase whether it's uh, Barcelona or Real I suspect one of them would do. I mean, this is football after all. They don't actually look at uh, people uh, in the way that uh, normal human beings might and go, God, I don't want a piece of that. Uh, they'll they'll take the risk, I'm quite sure. And of course, once again, as always, when these things are discussed, it's important to say that racism is much worse than biting. Uh, and it's a real shame that Luis Suarez's biting gets talked about so much more than he's racially abusing another human being uh, to gain sporting advantage. Well, yes, but it's also an easier conversation to talk about biting, mm, of course. Uh, isn't it? And uh, And to sweep the rest under the carpet, which I've seen on dozens of occasions... Uh, over the last couple of days. Anyway, look, there is a game. Oh, it's going to be a Luis cracker, Suarez-less Uruguay. It'll be interesting to see how they try and, uh, you know, line up now. And, well, I mean, you didn't play in the first game, so we have a good idea that I guess Forlan will come in uh, against uh, what has been an excellent Colombia side. Really good to watch. I mean, you'd have to make Colombia heavy favourites, right? Because Uruguay looked leaden without... Luis Suarez and they got beaten 3-1 by Costa Rica who don't play a million miles differently from Colombia but have a great deal less talent at their disposal yeah I mean you could say they'll lack some bite (laughs) yes Um, James Rodriguez player of the tournament so far up there certainly in the top five best players of the tournament so far Uh, another fantastic game for him in Colombia's last group game. Uruguay going through, of course, in place of Italy, which was a bit of a shame, I thought, really, because of bad, bitey, cheap man um, versus quite nice Italy. So 
that was a shame, but Italy were dreadful in that final game. Well, they've been dreadful all through, really. They weren't even that good against England, yeah. I mean, Rodriguez came on uh, for the last few minutes, didn't he, in the, in the last group game against Japan, which uh, yeah, they made eight or nine changes from the win over Greece, Colombia, and, and still managed to thrash Japan. It shows you've got some depth as well. Uh, they've just been excellent for you know Gutierrez up front or Rodriguez in sort of number 10, sort of on the left sort of quadrado excellent on the right hand side i mean so many attacking um options sanchez where does he play for chile i mean it looks like he plays in central midfield sometimes but um also as a forward um and at the back you know it's hard to believe it but you know, mario yepes is is like 90 and and still looks solid been an amazing uh, world cup for 90 year old central defenders because marquez is up there with the best defenders in the tournament so far as well so yeah really bizarre i have to say maybe of every single one of these fixtures maybe with the exception of argentina versus switzerland um this is the fixture that looks to me to be the most one-sided on paper. Uh, Uruguay are incredibly scrappy, and so that kind of renders the on-paper difference somewhat redundant because Uruguay's history as an international football team has been predicated on the idea of being greater than the sum of their parts. But they're going to really, really have to be a lot greater than the sum of their parts to beat Colombia. Look, you're totally right. Uh, I think Uruguay have been very poor so far. I mean, they were, of course, they were very poor through the World Cup qualification campaign, had to play Jordan of all teams in a playoff to actually get to the tournament in the first place. So they didn't have a good qualification campaign. Cavani and uh, Suarez can't save them alone. Suarez can't save them at all now. Uh, Cavani's going to have to be brilliant and... They just haven't been that good, and you know maybe they'll uh, maybe they'll rally round because Suarez is gone, or maybe they won't. And uh, they seem to just be um, undergoing this persecution complex at the moment. I'm not sure it's going to play make them play any better. I expect Colombia to win this one, and you know I kind of want Colombia to win this one. And uh, because they've been playing great football and they're very entertaining to watch. Yeah, definitely be happy either way with Brazil, Chile, but only happy one way with Colombia versus Uruguay. Really, really hope that the uh, the yellow chappies do their business, uh, especially since their goal celebrations have been awesome. Uh, yeah, well, that's that's our Saturday night sorted. <laughs> Sunday is pretty tasty too, isn't it? Huh. Netherlands, Mexico, and then Costa Rica and Greece. Yeah, I mean, uh, Netherlands, Mexico, uh, Van Persie will be back for Netherlands, who I think it's really interesting if you look at it from a United angle. The group stages, they comfortably, they smashed someone, they won an absolute kind of humdinger of a street fight, and then they ground out a 2-0 results against Stubborn opposition but completely different games all three yeah of them. it exactly. was interesting that van Gaal was able to come up with a plan for each of them i mean you know we keep talking about him because he's the next united manager but everything we see feels very positive doesn't it uh, amazing uh both formation and players holland news against chile uh, dirk quite the old liverpool striker was playing at left back or left wing back incredible and and he did very well there too uh, yeah absolutely i mean yeah ridiculous i mean, kind of his natural position in many ways having seen him try and play up front for all those years a hard working fellow but not necessarily the most technically gifted kind of makes sense to stick him at left wing back and and i suspect maybe that's where rooney will play for you like <laughs> well yeah we'll, we'll see yeah i mean daily blint went straight into the the back three looked very comfortable they you know i i'm not sure i see him as a 
a left back really I mean he's done alright at left wing back it's, it looks, it's really hard to see where his real position is uh, it's going to be a close game Mexico obviously don't concede a lot of goals generally speaking they've been very very uh, compact through their games uh, Chicharito of course scored last time out I mean he won't start against Holland I don't think he's his impact sub that's got to frustrate him I'm sure um, I would think that Holland have got too much quality for Mexico only just though you know it's this is going to be another tactical game I think I just expect Holland to win this one uh, just because they've got a few individuals that can make difference especially in Robin and Robin uh, and Robin having a game off won't have harmed him at all no absolutely I think I think it's interesting because if you look throughout the pitch I don't think that Holland are of much greater quality than Mexico by any stretch of the imagination I think they're very well matched in most areas it's just in terms of actual star power in the in the final third especially I mean Mexico strikers have been doing a good job but Holland's forward players have been doing a, an absolutely outstanding job. Uh, worth a mention for uh, Memphis getting another. He's the one I tell you. I'd like. I'd like to see him come to United. But anyway, the fact that they've got Robin and Van Persie up front is it's such an edge, isn't it? And Mexico. This is a fascinating tactical clash because this is two managers that mix it up tactically. We we might even get two three at the backs against each other. We might. Yeah, we might. It wouldn't surprise me a lot uh, if. Van Hall mixed it up again, although they've stuck with the three at the back all the way through so far. I wasn't sure that they were going to do that. I thought it was a specific plan for a couple of games, but uh, went that way again for the third match in a row. We'll see. We'll see. Van Hall is, you know, he's prone to changing things. But look, there's a big incentive here because uh, the winner of this game gets to play Costa Rica or Greece in the quarterfinal, and and you'd look, look at the winner of this game being the favourites, whoever. Yeah. Right. And, you know, so that's looking like a a tasty route through to a semi-final. Uh, that's a big incentive. Absolutely. I'm going to predict a Dutch win. Yeah, I think I think Holland will win too. I don't think it's going to be one sided by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's going to be tight. Mexico are, are very good defensively, you know, and I, I suspect they'll try and play more on the break than Holland have done in their last game, which will be interesting because Holland will have to get on the front foot in this one. And when they had to do that against... Uh, Australia, they weren't as good. No, it's true. And and actually, we should definitely give Mexico some credit for their qualification, really, because going into that game against Croatia, I sort of slightly made Mexico second favourites for that one because of how good Croatia had been in their opening two games. I mean, they were really unlucky against Brazil and then they absolutely decimated Cameroon. So I, I thought they might be they might be able to, uh, to knock Mexico out and qualification by no means a formality from the group that they've got out of. And, and Chicharito, as you said, scored for the first time for a long time for Mexico. Really emotional at the end of the game. Definitely felt for the lad. Well, yeah. Look, praise to Mexico. They've done very well well and uh, they they look they completely dominated that game against Croatia I'm in agreement with you I didn't expect that to happen I thought it'd be very tight but Croatia really didn't create any chances until very late into the game and uh, and then you know Mexico scored a goal so it's uh, they've done really well I I think it'll be close against Holland but I I just think a Dutch win Uh, and then then we go on to Costa Rica and Greece and this is a fascinating no one could have predicted that one let's let's be honest I don't think either of us thought that Greece or Costa Rica would get out of their groups they have done the Greeks 
barely got out of their own half, <laughs> let alone out of the group. But they, they managed to get through and Costa Rica were excellent uh, all through the group stage. Yeah, I mean, I have to say in the World Cup preview show, I think I said I thought that there's a decent chance that Greece will get out of their group. I wouldn't be completely shocked if that was the case, although it was a bit of a long shot. Costa Rica, though, not only out of the group, but winning the group. I mean, there can't be anyone in the world who designed their World Cup bracket before the tournament and had this match happening. It's got to be a 0% occurrence, I reckon. Yeah, I'd say just about, yeah. Uh, but, but it makes for a fascinating game. It makes for, Because look, yeah, Costa Rica, two solid wins against uh, Italy and Uruguay in different circumstances and a real bore draw against England, although I rather suspect England dragged them down to their level uh, and uh, sorry it's a bit mean uh, and versus Greece who you know very much lay on the break but so did Costa Rica so could it be one of those tactical games that just isn't very interesting where no one wants to attack or is someone going to change it up this is the real problem for Costa Rica in this game because they looked at their best when they wanted to be underdogs and Greece will not let anyone be underdogs against them Greece against Ivory Coast was a really interesting game the first half was quite boring but actually once Greece scored they grew in confidence and in the last 20 minutes of that game there was no question that Greece were by far the better side they definitely definitely deserved that win Ivory Coast a bit disappointed pointing really I think obviously they're under very straightened circumstances for the Torre brothers you'd have to be an incredibly harsh judge to say they should have performed better than they did under those circumstances but Drogba paying from the start I think that's probably a bit of a mistake really because he, he just couldn't he wasn't mobile enough to get past that very rigid and very very high quality Greece centre-back partnership so the thing about Greece is they have got genuine quality in the heart of the defence Socrates Papastathopoulos and Kostas Manolas are as good a centre-back pairing as there is in the tournament as far as I'm concerned they they cover each other's space brilliantly they're both very physically good uh, they're both pretty quick Manolas is a rapido quick as they say they've got Holobaskone who's, who's a sort of they're, they're kind of good on the break when they've got the right personnel there and they were really good on the break in the second half against Ivory Coast but up to that point in the tournament their breaks have have happened at an absolute snail's pace this guy Lazarus now this one I can't pronounce but I think it's Christodopopopoulos but I wouldn't swear to that Um, he added a load of pace and because they had the injury early on to Kone and um Andre Samaris came on and scored the goal. He added a lot of dynamism too. So by the end, they I actually got quite excited about Greece. But how on earth Costa Rica are going to try and break them down? 1-0 AET to either team, I reckon. Yeah, I mean, it's true. I mean, look, so Costa Rica have got some talent in forward areas and they've also got pace. So it really depends on how much Greece come out. They might have to be quite smart about this Costa Rica and, and try and draw the opposition out. But in Ruiz, Borges... Brenes and Campbell, they've got bags and bags of talent and pace and some goals. You know, they're better than a lot of us thought. Yeah, they're a good side and I think they'll uh, they'll give Greece a good game here. It's going to be tight and it'll come down to the details for sure. Uh, you know, if we see a four-all in this one, I will eat my hat. Literally, I'll eat Luis Suarez's hat if he gives it to me, if he's not hungry. Yeah, I tell you though, if I was set the task of drawing a team out of their structure, I think Greece would be the last one I would pick to try and do it to, because they've spent a decade playing in the same structure and they're incredibly well drilled. Well, we'll see. You know, maybe maybe that's not the uh, most entertaining end to the Sunday night's uh, football. So I'm going to go for a Costa Rica win. I know you've gone native, so I know where you're going with this one. Yeah, definitely 
Hellas, Hellas, Hellas. Uh, Paul writing about uh, the Greek side for Bleacher Report drew a very short straw with that one, I'd say. Well, a, a surprisingly long straw, it turns out, because um, actually it got all of a sudden got exciting. But yeah, mm. Georgie Samaras, a word for Georgie Samaras, not scored an international goal for two years, has to take a penalty in the last minute to get his side through to the next round of the World Cup for the first time ever and does it. I, I think a tip of the hat to the Freddie Mercury lookalike there. Yeah, um, not only did he win the Eurovision Song Contest this year, but uh, then he scored that crucial penalty. Yeah, great, great stuff. And he took a proper run up and gave it a good smack as well, which I think in those circumstances, if you haven't scored for two years that's what you do if you if you take if you take a three-step run up he didn't stutter a few times he, there was no stutter step but it was a placed shot he didn't just put his laces through it it was a side footer into the into the to the goalkeeper's left so anyway monday monday ah, a couple of cracking games I think, la patrie. yeah uh, can you sing yeah. the nigerian national anthem i can't no, look bias on this show disgraceful disgraceful <laughs> I also can't sing the rest of the French national anthem because they start talking about flags drenched in impure blood. Mm, Indeed. Well, nothing impure about the way the French have been playing in this World Cup. Some cracking stuff put five past the Swiss. uh, And then, uh, you know, a tight draw in the final game of the uh, of the group. Although, you know, maybe the incentive wasn't there for the French to go win it. Uh, Nigeria. Mm, squeaked through didn't they I don't think they've been that impressive got to be honest about it I don't think they've been brilliant in the tournament so far okay so I I think the only thing that I would disagree with really is that France's draw against Ecuador was really poor actually and they there might not have been the incentive for them but that would sort of indicate that they didn't create chances but there was an incentive for their strikers to put the ball either to the left or the right of the keeper instead of just hitting it straight at him time after time so I mean they made a huge number of changes but not that many changes up front so slightly underwhelming from France but I still think they should have enough to beat Nigeria although you say Nigeria have been unimpressive and I don't fully agree because they've been pretty tough to break down defensively they were you know they were they were really solid well yeah they were accused of parking the bus against iran which was um a little ironic given that iran parked the bus against everyone yeah uh, and so you know a couple of major buses parked uh, look against argentina they gave them a really good game yeah clearly yeah clearly but um i think it's in the previous two games that they weren't brilliant but they've got goals musa excellent against argentina odin wingy came back in yeah, after however many years out and uh, has performed okay. Emaniki's got power and pace up front, you know, and and they've looked okay at the back in some of the games, you know, when they've structured it right. I mean, obviously Argentina had uh, a bit of messy magic to win that game. I mean, I, I think, I don't know, we have a slightly different take on this. I think they've been one of the most efficient defensive units at the tournament in many ways until the Argentina game and then that really was a, a question of one man's special talent shining through so nil nil draw in the first game and they they beat Bosnia didn't they yeah they beat Bosnia Herzegovina uh, basically they've been an, on an upward trajectory throughout the tournament I think so far uh, they've looked better in each game of course they didn't win their final game but that was against a Messi inspired Argentina some some credit there I, I do think France will win but I think it'll be tight I think this one is not going to be a free scoring game I think this is going to be a sort of 2-1-1-0 affair mm. we'll see we'll see I mean I, you'd expect the onus to be on France and for Nigeria to fall back to that uh, solid base 
and we'll see whether France can break them down. They're definitely going to have to finish better than they did in the Ecuador game. Um, and, and talking of the Ecuador game, uh, major talking points, uh, Antonio Valencia shown red. A lot of people felt it was harsh. have to say I didn't think there was any debate about that one. I think uh, the FIFA were very, very clear about showing studs into the tackle and at one stage he was two feet off the ground not going into the tackle but at one stage before that a little unlucky uh, in that his opponent came from a 90 degree angle and so although they both had studs raised at one point it's Valencia that's gone into his man but um, I'm honestly not sure there's any debate about it given the current state of the rules no I have to say I wrote a piece defending Valencia's sort of grabbing Raheem Sterling's throat uh, just before the tournament saying that Valencia given everything he'd been through in terms of having his leg broken and all that it's kind of understandable and, and Chicho Benitez and everything, but actually sort of a bit out of order to, for Valencia to be then going around uh, with studs up challenges like that, given given that he's been on the receiving end of them. But obviously huge frustration for Ecuador. They just were not good enough against France, were they? No, they weren't. They weren't good enough. And you expected them to come, you know, we were waiting for the, the major attacking power to come from them and for them to really go for it because they had to go for it right and there just wasn't enough there and and had it not been for France's uh, sort of wayward finishing the the game might have been done well before the end so in the end just not quite good enough and and I suppose everyone expected them to be the worst of the South American qualifiers anyway that's kind of what they turned out to be and but it'll make for a good game in the quarterfinal, France and Nigeria. The other one on Monday, uh, given we are recording this before the final set of games, we don't know the full uh, the full lineup. It will be Germany versus we suspect Russia, though it could be uh, another. It could be another permutation. It could be Algeria. I, I suspect it will be Algeria. That's me going on record 45 minutes before kickoff in that game. I think Algeria will have enough uh, against Russia, who have been. Ah, poor They have been Fabio Capello writ large. I feel for the people of Russia, having been through a Fabio Capello national side for some years. So, so bad. I really, really hope Algeria beat them. Uh, Algeria, Mm. very, very impressive in their 4-2 demolition of South Korea. I'm not sure the same thing will be on show today, but I think they'll have enough. I think they've got more quality than Russia, or at least as much quality as Russia. Yeah, I mean, Capello's got the nous uh, and the, the kind of game nous uh, to take him through, maybe. But you're right, Russia completely turgid this World Cup. But we kind of knew that was going to be the case, didn't we? Algeria, don't they? They're owed one, aren't they? The gods of football owe them one for 1982, and uh, maybe maybe they'll get the payback tonight. We don't know. Germany, on the other hand, have been pretty good, haven't they? It's um, you know, brilliant against Portugal, absolutely smashed them. And then uh, the the final game, the one uh, nil victory over USA, pretty efficient. Uh, and you know, USA just didn't have enough to to come back at Germany. And and Germany, you know, made a, a few changes, although not a lot, and uh, just didn't really need to move up any gears. I'm sorry, what was the descriptive word you used to describe Germany just then? I think I may have used the word efficient. Uh, I apologise. I apologise. <laughs> yeah. That's the word. It, that it, is it was the one. it was a sound uh, but, observation about their performance. Yeah, of not a not a national character <laughs> study. The Ghana Germany second half. What a game of football that was! That was awesome. Yeah, although I think that may have come before uh, we recorded the last game and we had a quick chat about it then. But last podcast. Sorry. Oh really? Did we not? Uh, 
And maybe, yeah, 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 because it was that was Saturday night and we talked about it Sunday morning. Right? Yes, That's, but yeah. let's talk about it again. Brilliant, brilliant <laughs> stuff. Great, great gaming of football. And, and in a way, Garner are unlucky, aren't they, to, to not make it out. Uh, but they just didn't, they didn't have enough quality in the end uh, to get through. I think the problem with Garner was that they started slowly in a group they could not afford to start slowly in. Because if they'd got a result against the USA, it would have been, of course, oh so different. Yeah. You know, massive props to the USA for getting through, as we'll as we'll come on to in in just a second. The fact that Russia need to win and Algeria go through with a draw or a win, I, I'm going for a Germany Algeria game, and that would be a very much more fun game to watch than Germany against Russia. So that's another reason to root for it. If it's Germany versus Russia, I expect a tight German win. And actually, I expect a fairly comfortable German win for Germany against Algeria. Yeah, I think either way they'll win. And because they're, they're better than their two, uh, two potential opponents there. So that will be probably, in, you know, in terms of our predictions, a France-Germany quarterfinal. That's going to be a bit tasty. But... Maybe we'll come on to that in a bit uh, in our next podcast. Um, yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to both of those games, whoever Germany plays on Monday. Uh, I think we'll, uh, we'll have some good quality there. So we come to our final round of games, and that's Tuesday night, and Argentina versus Switzerland. Switzerland, interesting campaign for them, uh, hasn't it? I mean, they got that last-minute win in their opening game. Uh, they could have lost, bombed up the other end five seconds and scored got absolutely smashed by France and then just squeaked through in the end. Absolutely they did. Um and and they didn't they didn't just squeak through the group really because they absolutely battered uh, Honduras in their last game, didn't they? Um and that, that was an incredibly comfortable win. Hat-trick for Shakiri. I wasn't watching that game, but that's right. Yeah, he's it? got a hat-trick. Uh, he'd taken a lot of criticism before the game about his performances in the World Cup and guess that motivated him in interesting player Shakiri because he was such a talent at Basel and then made the big move to Bayern Munich and hasn't quite worked out for him in all honesty he's not been the uh, the major star of the Bayern Munich side he's on the at the edge of the squad a lot of people talking about him moving on but uh, he should be a star on the Swiss side they were very good in qualification for the World Cup Switzerland and I guess we expected, you know, something from them at the World Cup. Uh, they're going to face a really good Argentina side. An Argentina side with weaknesses, uh, but one that just seems to be clicking into place. I don't think I could go so far as to call them a really good Argentina side yet, but I think this might be the game where we see a really good Argentina side. Uh, they looked defensively all over the shop against Nigeria, and actually going forward, they looked really blunt when Messi didn't have the ball. All th- the two goals that Messi scored and the third Uh, a a goal from a messy corner once he went off with half an hour left they just fell apart I think that they are incredibly lucky to have got what is a pretty easy draw through because I think if they had to play a a really top class team at this stage my backing would be for the other team Mm. but Argentina have got one more game to click until they they probably play someone. But even then, they're going to be playing, I think if I'm right, they're either going to be playing Belgium or the USA, aren't they? So Yeah, that's right. So look, the, the problem is with Argentina, the tactics, right? The makeup of their side, they're not a good cohesive unit just yet you know maybe maybe they're rolling into it and and they need to get the best out of Messi Messi's sort of playing in this kind of number 10 role behind Aguero and Higuain uh, Higuain and Aguero split at times to uh, allow Messi to play in the sort of normal false nine role it hasn't quite all clicked into place in the central midfield uh, Di Maria is playing central 
something we don't see from him at Real Madrid. He's done all right, though. I think he's been one of the better ones. Mascherano has been pretty disappointing. And Gago is the one that's been pretty disappointing. I mean, he's pretty awful against Nigeria. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if he gets another game. And, and you're right, the back four is a real problem. I mean, uh, Zabalesa, we all know, right? Garay, uh, I've spoken about a lot of times. I don't think he's as good as people make out. Fernandez, He's going to Zenit, not United. So there we go. Yeah, well, there you go. Fernandez, I don't rate at all and Rojo looks like the kid that he is right and Romero barely ever plays for Monaco and and so that is definitely their weakness right so they have to score one more than the opposition that's really the way they're going to play through this tournament and and normally when you get a side like that a top quality side will beat them but I think in this one they're they're probably going to be good enough uh, yeah and I think they'll they'll be good enough in this one and their next game so I'm going for an Argentina win as well yep yeah I'm with you um, Argentina's win on Tuesday, the five o'clock game. And then the final game of the round of 16, USA versus probably Belgium. Yeah, maybe Algeria, but probably well, Belgium. Almost certainly Belgium, we think. Uh, well, the, the, the almost certainly bit comes from the fact that South Korea would have to beat Belgium, and that doesn't seem very likely to happen. It doesn't seem very likely. And, uh, you know, you'd expect Belgium to have more quality than the USA. I mean, certainly, look, USA are a functional side. We're going to get some heat for criticizing them <laughs> you are mate yeah well, look, look, <laughs> you're, you're on your own with this they've one they've done very well look, they they squeaked a win against Ghana in a game that they were second best for a lot of the second half they lost against Germany in a game that they really just barely ever attacked until the last 30 seconds of the game and they got a very good win against Portugal when they were too naive near the end they should have just kept the ball and they'd have won that game so look they've done very well Uh, for a side that is more functional than talent is. And I don't think that's an unfair observation. So they're going to go into a game against Belgium where Belgium have more talented players uh, and USA's function is going to have to beat that form. And it could happen. It could happen. I just don't expect it to. But the thing is, USA are just ultra competitive, you know, and uh, Klinsmann is, he's obviously a very good coach. He's got them into a system that works for them and is getting more out of the sum of the parts because they haven't got a lot of talent in that squad. All right, this is uh, this is my prediction for the game, all right? You ready? I, I, I believe, I believe, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that we, I believe that we will win, I believe that we will win, I believe that we will win. A surprisingly not terrible chant that on paper should be terrible, but when it actually happens in real life, gives you weird goosebumps up the back of your neck if you're a big soppy idiot like me. Um, (laughs) Well, look, one of the interesting things about this is, you know, is the great US support, right? They've had loads and loads and loads of fans in in the stadiums. And then if you look at some of the video coverage from fans back in the States some huge fan parks with masses of fans there. So, you know, there's a there's a, a sense that there's something happening with this side. You know, I think if there were an even better side, it might even, you know, increase the, the level of support in the country. And, you know, I spend a lot of time in the States, so I have a feel for, you know, how football is kind of understood there, right? And it's still a niche, effectively, even though 25 million people watched it on TV the other day. It's, it's still definitely a niche, except in some pockets where it's become really popular. You know, Seattle, I spend a lot of time in Seattle, huge fan base there. So it, it feels like a sport that's on the cusp of taking off. If they had a better side, it might accelerate it. I expect they'll lose against Belgium, is my prediction. Uh, but they've done very well to get this far. Yeah, I... I don't honestly think I can predict a Belgium win in this one. I have to say, if Belgium have 
tonked South Korea and, and it's all clicked for them by the time you listen to this. I kind of want to revise my prediction a little bit because... Belgium have been really, really disappointing, I think, in this tournament so far. And I think it's a, a function of them having a good, a great deal of good players, but not very many great players, essentially. And Adnan's in the starting eleven. that's just been announced, so that's exciting. And I don't understand why they haven't used him earlier, because the, their games have been absolutely crying out for a player like that. Well, they have. Go Adnan, first official game. You know, of course, that means he can't play for England now. <laughs> <laughs> or, or... Turkey or Bosnia or <laughs> Croatia or however many other 15 countries that want Yeah, to. absolutely. Uh, so I'm I'm predicting a US win for this one. I've I've been talk of gone native. I've been I've been beaten down by uh, US soccer fans. Uh, and it, it's right, brilliant. It I, it's like it is lovely to see that. Of course, I mean we shouldn't talk about the US without uh, without talking about the fact that they pinched half their squad from Germany <laughs> yeah I believe that Jürgen's pretty smart That's, I'm that, that chant has been going around in my head constantly just like at work I believe that I need to type this letter yeah all that stuff anyway alright let's do a few questions at Rob Pollard says what's a midfielder at 6 Sammy 9 says how does it feel now we've signed a midfielder at United for Life 1 says how do you celebrate when your team signs a midfielder at Red Devil 1295 says how should a United fan respond to a midfield signing uh, yeah. Well, Rob, Rob, uh, Rob should know what a midfielder is. They've got a couple of talented ones in Yaya and Fernandinho over there. He goes on to say, "When will United fans' tendency to be absolutely hysterical during transfer windows subside?" Never. All right. Thanks. You know, because just chucking money at it is the is the easy way to do it, isn't it? You know, it's like cheating in fantasy football. So uh, they win a couple of tournaments and they're all giving it the big one. Getting it a bit chippy, aren't they? Yeah, get back in your place, right? Yeah. So, so uh, you know, obviously United has signed the greatest midfielder in the history of midfielders, mate. Yeah. Uh, at L. Rob says uh, that will happen when the fossil fuels run out. I think essentially we get hysterical about the transfer window generally because of the nature of the 24-hour coverage of the so-and-so player sneezed in the direction of the town they want to go to so I think there's a general tendency to be hysterical about it and I think United fans have been particularly hard to take this summer in terms of hysteria because of how much is at stake or how much is perceived to be well this is true you know look that's a fair analysis and uh, the thing that annoys me especially spending time on social media and being as popular as I am (laughs) you're beloved Ed (laughs) yeah that's one way of putting it yeah not not quite the word I'd use but you know I can't even mention anything about transfers without without getting a, a torrent of uh, in the nose uh, telling me exactly how it is, uh, which is kind of annoying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's fair enough. Maybe you should. Uh, maybe you should just. I don't know. Like, just swear at strangers less on, on see see if they get nicer to you. Just. Ah, just an idea. Why would I want to do that? <laughs> anyway, go on. More questions. Uh, at Ole Ole United says, make a Herrera song. And I've got to give a huge shout out to, I think it was We Were Cones at We Were Cones for Hip Hop Herrera. Herrera. Which I want to get behind fully. No, and uh, Not going to happen. <laughs> All right, then. You got a better one? Uh, Just so long as it's not to the tune of Salute John B or Valare, because that is done, ladies and gentlemen. Which one's Valare? Remind Uh, me. He came from Serbia. Oh, yeah. Valare, oh. Valare, oh. That'd work, though, wouldn't it? (laughs) He he came from... uh, Somebody said... uh, 
I can't remember who it was, sorry, but um, he saw the Scottish dance and waited 12 months. Herrera. Oh, <laughs> I thought it was oh quite dear. good. Well, yeah. it, it, we could have one that goes there. Uh, and, uh, and a Herrera, and a Herrera. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Done. Good. Terrace um, winner straight away. Uh, at Tom McGee suggesting that more chants should be to the tune of hymns. Uh, so I came up with, he's a, and a Herrera, morning has broken. And a Herrera, he's a midfielder. The first midfielder we've signed for years. Not going to happen. You stop. Gonna, no. Sorry, stop you just haven't ruining got it, everything. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, where were you asks at Lionel Evans underscore when Manchester United last signed a proper midfielder and the thing about this is I genuinely can't remember because last time we signed it it didn't feel like a weird abnormal freak of nature like it does now no are we counting Fellaini no uh, no 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 so Owen Hargreaves and uh, Anderson within about a week of each other in 2008 yeah Yeah. and between the two of them they would have made a proper midfielder yes between the two of them and a physician between the two of them and a doctor uh, they'd have made a proper midfielder but uh, unfortunately they played about 12 games between them for United well 12 good games at least at Ben Gloria says uh, what do the Chinese call their best plates hashtag rankcast um, I think they probably just call them plates, plates. I don't yeah. know maybe maybe they called them England's but I don't think so Unlikely. Uh, All right. um, We've very few questions about the World Cup, so apologies to our non-United listeners. uh, But we're all very excited because we bought a midfielder. It doesn't happen very often, and this is nice for us. Very good. Well, look, so we are saying Brazil, Colombia, France, Germany, Netherlands. We disagree on Costa Rica, Greece, Argentina, and we disagree on USA, Belgium. That will leave us with a quarterfinal lineup of Brazil versus Colombia, very tasty. Yeah. France versus Germany, very tasty. Yeah. Holland versus Costa Rica or Greece, yeah. Very and, exciting for Louis. Yeah, very, very. Uh, we kind of like them to go out a bit earlier. Wouldn't no, we? <laughs> I want him to come rock up with the World Cup in a backpack. In well, that's back. true. That would officially make Manchester United world champions because. <laughs> Because, uh, you know, FA Cup better, better than Carling Cup, Premier League better than FA Cup, Champions League better than the Premier League, World Cup better than the Champions League, we'd be the best team in the world. Yeah. Um, officially. And then Argentina versus Belgium or USA, don't agree on that one. And I, I think Argentina will still win that one. So it uh, looks like a very nice lineup of quarterfinals. I think we'll have time to preview those later in the week. Uh, we don't get to the quarterfinals until Friday. And Saturday, which means we have to go Wednesday and Thursday without any football. What is going to happen? Uh, no football tomorrow, as we record this. You're listening to this hopefully on Friday. No football today. Uh, yeah. The, the, the first rest day of the World Cup. We'll have to uh, like watch tennis or something. I'm not watching tennis. I'm not watching football methadone. I refuse. It's the BBC put it on like it, like it's some, like it's a real thing. Mm. Like, oh, go on, th- go and try. Just go, go and say, go on, Timmy. There you go. <laughs> He's is still he still isn't he? Tiger Tim? Is he still going? I don't think so. John McEnroe's not around anymore, is he? I liked him. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was all right because he was a bit Suarez-esque. You, I mean, you know, in a, in the modern age, McEnroe would go up to the umpire and bite him. <laughs> yeah. You predicted, as Atlas Worsley, friend of the Rankcast, pointed out, uh, in the preview show, you did, in fact, say that Luis Suarez would bite someone. I did. Yeah. So you, you, you and various forensic psychologists. Uh, and a bunch of Swedes who put a, 
uh, a very small bet and got a very lot of money back. So unfortunately, I, I was uh, being quite flippant and uh, I didn't actually put some cash on it. You should. It's so funny that they tried to deny it because when you look at it, he does exactly the same head motion that he did against Ivanovic. It's like the same the the same thing happened in his brain, and he, he replicated the muscle memory almost exactly. It's a, yeah, it's very unpleasant to see happen in real life. Anyway, he's gone. Uh, hopefully, Uruguay will follow him out. Apologies to any Uruguayan friends of ours. It's not it's not personal. It's your team's horrible lot and uh, bad behaviour that you know. Um, and also, just it'd be brilliant to see Colombia through. I really hope France get through. I really hope Holland get through. Have you changed your vote for who's going to win the whole thing? Uh, well, I thought Brazil would just edge out Spain. So uh, that that one worked then, didn't it? <laughs> so No, I don't think so. I mean, uh, you know, Brazil are not without their flaws, clearly. I think they would be better with a, just a few tweaks. Uh, and I wonder whether Scolari will notice that. We'll see. Uh, no, so I probably haven't changed. I think Brazil will just win it. And I still think it's going to be Neymar's World Cup. I mean, it looks like it is already, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, the top goal scorers, Muller, Neymar, Messi, all on four already, a whole load of people on three. This does not normally happen at World Cups. So I wouldn't be surprised if the top scorer ends up with eight goals, actually, at this tournament. Which would be a yeah. lot, yes. But but could happen, yeah. It depends on how far... Messi goes and and Muller, uh, you know the thing about him, he's um, he's not flashy in the same way. He doesn't have the skills, can't beat players, uh, doesn't have a bit of magic. But boy, is he a great finisher, and he gets in some fantastic positions. A wonderful finish against the US uh, again in the final group game, and and you know he's going to score more goals. Yeah, you think anyway, so? All right. It, we we talked in the last rankcast about how great the World Cup has been. It's still been great. There's been a few duds along the way, but uh, it's it's been a few more crackers been, as well. A few more crackers as well I think we'll get some cracking games in the round 16 of course it gets a little bit more squeaky bum time this time round because it means so much more so we'll probably get a few tight games too and maybe a few penalties and uh, I guess we'll see after this round of games we'll be back with you uh, to preview the quarterfinals so sometime later in next week and in the meantime, let's uh, let's enjoy the the round sixteen. You looking forward to it, Paul? Yeah, absolutely. If you want to get hold of us in between now and then, you can get me at UTD Rantcast on Twitter. You can get Ed at United Rant. You can get us both at facebook.com slash United Rant and read what Ed's got to say about the World Cup, including Ed a piece by Jay on a very data analytical piece on Antonio Valencia, which I thought was rather interesting. Good read. So check that one out. I, I haven't actually written very much about the World Cup, but uh, you know, you never know. I, I, I do. <laughs> need to write something about Ander Herrera so uh, maybe by the time you listen to this I'll have actually bothered to do that well if you want to read what I've written about Ander Herrera well you can do that by going to the Bleacher Report because um, I've, I've written something about him there I'll also be covering uh, Greece for them for some weird reason I, I've, I went through a period of like intensely not enjoying that but now I'm enjoying it again so there we go I've gone native as you said Ed and uh, we'll be back with you later in the week
Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-